welcome to the Wesley Memorial Podcast. Join us this Sunday at 1225 Chestnut Drive in High Point. Visit us on the web at wesleymemorial.org. Now here is this week's message. He did not die, but he almost died. And his father, a Wesleyan pastor, and the mother go into two separate rooms and begin to pray for Colton. Um, and then it's during this time that Colton uh, apparently leaves his body. But anyway, as they, he recuperates and gets better, and as uh, the weeks after the surgery happen, as it goes with four-year-olds, they're not very forthcoming with information. It comes when they want it to come. And Colton began to leak out these details about what he had experienced and that he had seen Jesus and been to heaven and the Holy Spirit was like this bluish thing, as he described it. Um, now, these stories are not gospel, they're not Bible, but they're fascinating. And when we hear about these accounts of the afterlife, I think it's important to pay attention and many times we're looking for details about this life to come and sometimes we feel like it's a bit too nebulous or general and unfortunately we forget that the Bible is full of detail about uh, the life to come there's many things the Bible lays out that are not nebulous but they are quite specific one is uh, that in Revelation 21 uh, John records that the city of God is a real place with actual streets made of gold and also and yet are clear as crystal. Not sure how that works, but it'll be cool to see one day. First um, Corinthians, Paul writes and tells us that we're going to have a heavenly body, a resurrected body, uh, or as he calls a glorified body. I remember there was this movie back in the 80s called Cocoon. Everybody ever see Cocoon? Old people in a rest home, right? You remember that one? That guy that that sold uh, oatmeal for Wilford Brimley, was that his name? Um, it was kind of creepy, they're all like floating around, but it was that idea that there's a resurrected body, a glorified body, and that even though you see it in a movie, and they made Heaven is for Real, Colton Burpa, who's now 18 years old, saw the movie and he said, that's the best they could do with what I said, but you can't, you can't get it into movie form to purely describe what I saw, what I experienced as a four-year-old boy. People that have gone into heaven and come back have said they saw colors they've never seen before. Let that sink in. They heard music they've never heard before. Um, Jesus, when he's on the cross and there's a thief on either side of him, what does he say to the one thief? Today you will be with me in paradise. Not only is there a deathbed confession there, and Jesus is telling this man, this notorious murderer, that you're going to be in heaven with me immediately. There's no time for catechism. There's no time for baptism. You're going to be with me immediately, with me, in paradise. Now, this word paradise only shows up in two other places in the Greek. One is in um, 2 Corinthians, when Paul refers to someone that he knows that was caught up into heaven, had a vision of some sort. He might be referring to himself in a very modest way. But he says that they were, I were caught up into paradise. Another other place you see it is in Revelation 2, where he, uh, Jesus says to the church at Ephesus, to him who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Revelation 22, John gives us a bit of detail about this paradise, the city of God, uh, of 
of, uh, in Revelation. Then he showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now in all of that, especially with Jesus on the cross and saying, you'll be with me in paradise, you'll be with me in heaven, the, the operative phrase there is with me, because when you're with him, you're in paradise, you're in with the, the presence of God, that's where paradise is. No more pain, no more suffering. God says in Revelation, I will dry every tear, there will be no more crying or sorrow or suffering. And then in Luke 20, Jesus gives us some really clarifying details about the roles of people in heaven, the roles that will exist and the roles that will not exist. And he's, he starts in Revelation, uh, I'm sorry, Luke 20. And the, the Sadducees come to him. Some Sadducees, those who say there is no resurrection, that's why they were sad, you see. I had to use that one, okay? That's an old church joke. I mean, how sad is that? No resurrection, come on. And asked him a question, teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife but no children, the man shall marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now this is where it gets crazy. Now there were seven brothers, the first married and died childless. Then the second and the third married her, the same woman. Sounds like a really rough job for her. <laughs> married her. And so in the same way, all seven died childless. This is a ridiculous hypothetical situation. Finally, the woman also died. This is very sad. No resurrection either here, people. Now in the resurrection, which we don't believe in, <laughs> therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had married her. So here's, Jesus actually answers this, this crazy uh, trap they're trying to get him in, this hypothetical situation. He actually gives them an answer. He said to them, those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of a place in that age and in the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. Okay, for one, Jesus is saying here that those who are married, marriage as you're understanding it is for, just for, for the earth. It's for people on earth. But those who are considered worthy of a place in that age, those who are in Christ, those who will be resurrected from the dead, they don't marry and they will not be given in marriage. Indeed, they cannot die anymore because they are like the angels and are children of God, being children of the resurrection. So Jesus is saying, here he's affirming that there is a resurrection for those that are believe in Christ and that you will not die. He's, he's affirming that teaching. And the fact that the dead are raised, Moses himself showed, which you believe in Sadducees, in the story about the bush, where he speaks of the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now he is God, not of the dead, but of the living. For to him all of them are alive. That's Exodus, um, I wrote it down, 3, 6 he's referring to. Then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you've spoken well. Mic drop, you won the argument, Jesus. For they no longer dared to ask him another question. So Jesus not only is he referring to Exodus here as authoritative and relevant, he's taking scripture literally here, which is usually how you should be if that's what it gives you. 
Now, okay, when you read this passage, when I read this passage, especially as a younger married man, the first thing you think is, what a bummer. I don't get to be married to my wife anymore in heaven. Right? But the focus should not be on what you're losing, but it's actually on what are you gaining. What's, what's, what's between the lines here? What union could God provide to us in the life to come that would supersede the blessing of marriage here on earth? It's not on what's being lost, but what, is, what are we gaining? What is to be gained in the life to come? That, that the, here on marriage, when we're in a union with a, with a husband or a wife, there's an intimacy and understanding and, a, and beauty and, of course, love. But it's susceptible to brokenness, to death, to sin and suffering. But Jesus is saying in the life to come, there will be a union. But it will have none of that negative connotation. That yes, our earthly marriages here are a precursor of the perfect union with Christ that is to come. No more misunderstanding. No more bad communication. A oneness with God and with each other. Jesus says in this regard, we will be like the angels. An everlasting union. A covenant that will never end. Now in our culture today, we don't really have a lot of references to covenants. The only one that's left is marriage. The covenant act of marriage. And covenants are not contracts. A lot of people approach marriage like it's contractual. But contracts can be broken. Contracts can have conditions through which it will be nullified. Covenants aren't like that. Covenants are last forever. Now on our end of the bargain as human beings, we tend to break those covenants. God has never broken a covenant, and he never will. God doesn't break covenants on his end. They aren't contracts. So when we enter into the covenant of marriage... I want to show you a picture. This is when my wife and I got married. I'm the one that's not ridiculously beautiful, okay? Look at us. We're so young. So young. Now, okay, I was so nervous. Of course, I was happy to get married, but I was so nervous on our wedding day that I tried to put my ring on her finger. It's a funny little memory of mine. But as those of us who are married know that when you somehow become, you come before an altar in this mysterious way, you become one flesh. That in itself is just a, baffles the mind. That that's how God has designed it. But there's this idea of union, of oneness. And as you get older, as we have, we have two children. We've moved a few times. Many things have changed, but the one thing that's constant is the union, the covenant, that unshakable bond. And the beauty of it is that the older you get, it just seems to get better. You haven't really even scratched the surface. That it's no longer my will, but thy will. There's no longer me, but we. Of mutual understanding of a selfless union. Of one life laying itself down for the other. This is the essence of love. See, love today is bandied around very carelessly in our culture. That love is not liking. Love is not lusting. Love is not preference. Love is laying down your life so that someone else can live. And that when you live into that reality of the definition of love, divine love, there is always something new to discover and to grow into. In the same way, when we grow into a union with Christ... 
We can be become perfectly one with him. In church culture, we use the term a lot, relationship with God or relationship with Jesus. That's an okay term. It's not the best because relationships, you know, you've had some bad relationships. You've had some good relationships. But when you have a union, there's a permanence to that. There's a, that, that, that Jesus is closer than close to us that are in Christ. We're, we're united with him. And this is a very New Testament understanding. The early church understood this idea of union with Jesus. And they referred to it constantly. There's two interchangeable expressions to describe union with Christ. The first was that we are in Christ. And you see all these citations of New Testament passages that Paul and John wrote about. That you are in Christ. You're hidden with Christ. We are in him. And the second is that Christ is in us. That we can be, he can live within us as temples of the Holy Spirit. Our bodies as what we were originally designed for. The Spirit of Christ can live within us. There's a union there, closer than close. Galatians 2. Paul said famously, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's basically this amazing union where he's saying, no longer I, but Christ. The life I live in the flesh, no, I live by by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That we can know this union with Christ here and now. We can know this in our own lives, have intimacy and peace with God here on earth. And then it can carry over in the life to come. Eternal life can begin today. When we celebrated uh, communion last week and we stood up here with the cup and we had said, this is, Jesus said, this is my blood of the new covenant. This is my blood of the new union that is offered to all people. And that if you will receive it, you will know what it means to have peace and union and everlasting covenant, even an everlasting marriage, if that works, with God. And we experience this union by faith. Now for some people, when we hear this idea is by faith, it can feel far-fetched. When you st- but it's really not. We enter into unions and all sorts of things by faith. For example, marriage fits. When you stand before an altar and you promise to make a marriage covenant, it's done by faith. You can't control the other person, right? You do it by trust. You enter into the covenant by faith. And when we enter that covenant with God, we're doing it by faith. It's the same way. Because when, when, when we're united to a spouse, where they go, we go. When the other is blessed, we're blessed. When the other is sick, we feel sick. When they feel down, we feel down. You're one flesh. The life you live, you live together. And that's how it is with union with Jesus. It, we, were, we share with Jesus in his death. We were, when we were baptized, you're baptized into his death, as we say, as people are baptized. And that when you come up out of the water, you share in his resurrection. Then, as symbolized through water, but you also share in his resurrection one day when your life leaves this earth. You will share in his resurrection. We also share in his promised return. When Christ, who is our life, appears, we will also appear with him in glory. 
And we share in his life because we're united in him and to him. And he can live within us by faith. This everlasting union. So yes, no one is married in heaven. Because all of this, because all will be in a perfect union with him. Free from sin. We will return to our original design as human beings. And God invites all people to know that union with himself by faith. In the same way as marriage. To enter into simply by saying, yes, I will. So as we go into our closing song, we're going to have time to worship and to sing. Some of us will be in the back of the room to pray and to pray with people if you need prayer. We'd love to do that. Let us pray together. God in heaven, we thank you for the promises you've given us, this promise of union with yourself, that we are designed to be temples of your Holy Spirit, to be people in which you long to dwell. And I pray especially for anyone here today that feels broken, they feel betrayed, they don't feel peace with you, they don't feel peace in their soul, they don't know what it means, God. I pray that they would know, Lord Jesus, that you have pursued them with your grace and that you pursue us even now. And I believe that even through after our death, you may even pursue us then because that's what love, divine love, will always do. And God, as we go into this time, Holy Spirit, birth within us the faith to trust you, to see and know and taste that you are good, that your promises are eternal and everlasting, and that the covenant that you have made with us by your body and blood, nothing will change that. I pray that we don't keep our eyes on our circumstance, but we keep our eyes on your promises, that where we are is not who we are, but who we are is what you say we are which is that you have fought for us and died for us and shed your blood for us so that we could know this everlasting union with yourself. So Father, we lift to you this time of worship and pray that you're honored and glorified in it and draw us to yourself by your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.